and look to the God to whom we must pray. And even as we read this text together, that God might pray that God might open your eyes to really see who he is and that that might encourage you to pray more and more boldly to him. As we read, remember that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's read from verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we could have just joyfully sang to you. Lord, what a great encouragement it is to hear one another sing to so edify one another by teaching one another through singing, Lord. Thank you for that great privilege as well. Lord, as we now approach your word, we pray, Lord, that you will give us your spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, even to see the Father, to see his grace, his glory, and his generosity. Lord, I cannot do this. That's why, Lord, we pray for that. <clears throat> we ask you, Lord, for your mercy to give us enlightened eyes. To see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, beloved, in this section from verse 15 to the end, we see Paul doing something surprising. Remember, he in verses 3 to 14, he's just explained all the spiritual blessings and riches we have in Christ. And now he is praying for God to help us to believe verse 3 to 14, to open our eyes, to understand and see. What is our glorious inheritance? What is waiting for us? How much God really does love us? We need prayer for that. <laughs> you and I are dependent on God to see His glory. We are dependent on God to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, to be able to see Jesus in all of His splendor and His glory. Naturally, left to ourselves, we don't see God as glorious. We don't think He is awesome and awe-inspiring. Or to say it in, an, in another way, without prayer, you and I will never see how truly blessed we are. We will never really come to grip with what God has done for us. Without prayer, our theology will lie dead. So you need to take your theology and mix it with prayer. So that you don't just say, wow, on a Sunday, but that it impacts the way you live from Monday. After you've listened to a sermon or studied the Bible, you've only done half of the job. You should also water the seeds of God's word in your heart with, this, with the water of prayer, regular prayer, so that it might grow into the beautiful fruit of holiness and obedience. That's what we need, the word and prayer. But before we begin to study what we need to pray for and what Paul prayed for, 
I think it is really worth pausing and reflecting on how Paul described God the Father in verse 17. Look at verse 17. He says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice he doesn't just say Father. right? He, he gives a very, very lengthy description of the Father. And remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. No word is wasted. The Holy Spirit intended these words for us. He intended these words to help us to believe who God is, what God is like. And I really think he's elaborating on that to inspire us to believe in the same Father he has and to approach the Father as boldly as he does as well. To be coming to God the Father with expectancy that he will listen to us and that he will hear us. That's so, so important because imagine this. Imagine if you, are, you want to pray, imagine you are alone and you are ready to open your heart to God, but secretly, underneath your prayers, you think about God like this. God is too busy to listen to me now, right? How in the world will we be able to do this thing for me? Or God is still angry with me. I'm so sinful, how could I pray? How in the world will I be able to approach his throne now after I've sinned? Or God is stingy. He might give something to me, but I will have to give so much more back to him. God is dependent on me. If I do not pray, then surely God cannot do anything for himself. God needs me. He needs my prayers. Otherwise, nothing gets done. And his thoughts like those weak theology, bad theology, maybe not even expressly, you know, um, confessed, but underneath in our, sub, or our presuppositions, what we already believe before we pray, that kills prayer. Which we carry, we carry these things into our prayer life, and what we believe about God will either make your prayers fly or die. Okay, so we need, we need sound theology sound theology of who God is and what he is like. And so, really, this afternoon, God wants the lies you believe about him to die. He wants you to come to him knowing who he is. Come to him not as a God delighting in judgment, but rather as a gracious God. He wants you to see that he's not petty or small, but that he's glorious. He wants you to come to him seeing that he's not stingy, but generous beyond your imagination. And when you believe those truths about God, that will encourage your prayers, fuel your prayers as well. That will draw you into his presence with confidence. This will also cause you to ask and ask with boldness for God, for the Holy Spirit. And all of this is contained in that one verse, verse 17. So let's look at these phrases in turn and ask the Holy Spirit even right now, even as you listen, ask God right now to give you eyes of faith, enlightened eyes to see. So the first attribute of God we see in verse 17 is that God is gracious. That's the very first line. That's what that first line really means when it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we've seen that phrase before in verse 3. Just glance over at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This God is not just any God. 
He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being the Father of Jesus points to his filial relationship with the Son. That the Son and the Father are equal to one another. It points to his deity. That Jesus is God. He is the true Son of God. The image of the invisible God. Look to Christ, look to the Son, and you see the Father. Right? So when it says that he is the Father of Jesus, we're thinking about the Trinity. His deity. But when the Bible calls the Father the God of Jesus, it now shifts to his humanity. As man, Christ submitted to the Father as God. Right? So he's both, Jesus is both God and man. So when we see that the Father is the God of Jesus, we're really thinking about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son to become a man like you and me, to live a life of perfect, sinless obedience and to die for the sins of all those who will believe in him. Instead of punishing you for your crimes and your, your sins, what you deserved, he punished his son in your place on the cross. All of that is wrapped up and summarized by the title and the phrase when we say God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a summary of the gospel. It's a summary of the good news. Why in the first place we could ever approach his throne. So when you hear that, when you think of that reality that he is the God of Jesus, you should think immediately about how gracious he is, how loving he is, how forgiving and abounding in steadfast love, how ready he is to forgive sinners. His adoption of you, his desire to bless you and to give you an inheritance. This is incredibly good news for Christians. Listen to me. God does not relate to you on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of his son's performance in your place. Let that sink in. God relates to us on the basis of his son's performance in our place. We fall into this trap quite, quite frequently, right? If you had a bad, a horrible day spiritually, you know, the snooze button for the fifth time, you skipped your quiet time, you don't pray, you go, you sin, and you sin some more, and sin really comes alone. They often come in pairs. Have you noticed that as well? So as you try to fix this sin, you're sinning to sin to, to cover it, right? Like David with Bathsheba. Just like a downward spiral. At the end of that day, you, you feel like, I can't just now ask God to forgive me. Like, I need to pay him back something. Or at least fast from his presence to show him how serious I feel about the sin. We all intrinsically feel, well, I cannot just come to God as I am and enjoy his presence, his grace, his forgiveness. I first need to be punished. Underneath those thoughts is the idea that God is not gracious. That God has not already dealt with your sin decisively on the cross. Once for all. Beloved, listen to me. This is good news for the believer. <laughs> this is what we need, Christians, right? We often think gospel is for unbelievers and now we have to mature into something else. That No, we need the gospel every day. It's good news for Christians who fall every day. It doesn't matter how far you've drifted. How bad that day was spiritually. You can come now. Repent immediately. 
for this famous verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Period. He will forgive you if you confess your sins. You don't need to be punished. Christ was punished. Simply come to God as your gracious Father because He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me apply this to prayer because this also, this attitude that God is not gracious really sneaks its way into our prayer life as well. One of the effects of believing that God is still angry with you and that God is not gracious is that you will really try hard to impress Him with your prayers. Right? Jesus gave this um, warning in Matthew 6, verse 7 to 8. Easy to remember? 6, 7, 8. Okay? Matthew 6, 7, 8. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Those who relate to God on the basis of their performance really think the better they perform in prayer, the better their chances are for God to hear them. Right? So in prayer, they just heap up words, heap up words, like just random empty phrases that means nothing. Because their equation in their minds is more words plus louder words equals a better chance to be heard. Maybe one of them sneaks through to heaven. Right? If it goes through the cracks, if the decibels are high enough, it starts breaking through the cracks of heaven. Many people pray like that, right? They, they think they have to really just empty themselves and, and, and just pray lavishly. All the while, God is already pleased with you because of Jesus. All the while, you don't have to. You don't have to do that because your sins have been forgiven. You can ask and ask simply. He knows what's in your heart even before you ask him. That's such an encouraging thing. So when you say help, you don't even have to elaborate on that because he hears your heart. Parents, I, I want to, maybe if I could illustrate, imagine if your child came to you and to impress you before they ask you something. Great and amazing dad and mom, I have cleaned my room. I've done my homework. I promise I'll wash the car whenever you would like me to. Yes, I thought of my brother and my sister today, but tomorrow I'll do better. And did I say how awesome you are, mom and dad? Why don't you feel like, okay, what do you want? <laughs> it's like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to waste your time. If you, if you hear what is on your child's heart, like, I'll gladly give that to you because I'm your dad. I love you because I love you. Right? You don't have to perform. And in fact, I think that's one of the key lessons of parenting is to love that child despite that child. Right? <laughs> that's like one of the most humbling things. Like all the other kids are amazing and you're, you just feel your kid is behind in everything. <laughs> and that's okay. God gives you that child on purpose to teach you unconditional love. Right? If your child met all the conditions, how are you going to learn unconditional love? You won't. Now, could it be that we believe God is a worse parent than us? Of course not, right? We are His children. He delights in us. He delights in us. Like a parent delights in their child. 
God delights in us because we are in Christ. He sees our hearts and our desires. And so ask him freely. Approach him as a gracious father. That's how we need to pray. That's how we need to approach him. You have God's ear by grace. That's important to remember. But here's a second attribute. Not just that God is gracious, but in order for us to pray effectively, we need to believe that God is glorious. Not just gracious, but also glorious. That's exactly what Paul elaborates on in verse 16 or 17. He actually mentions it explicitly, right? He says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. That stands out, right? That's, that's like Paul wants to really emphasize that he is a glorious God, a glorious Father. Again, Paul could have just said, our Father, and just continue with his prayer, but yet he pauses and he spends time to tell us, remember that he's not just a gracious Father, but he is a glorious God. Make sure that we catch that, that we should look at that and, and believe that. God is glorious. That means he is valuable. He's beautiful. He's worthy. He's awe-inspiring. To, to try to understand glory, look at creation. For the heavens declare the glory of God. We see the breathtaking sunset with the clouds becoming bright orange and red and it makes all the birds in the sky a silhouette. We stand back and say, how glorious is this sunset, right? Or when you're in your house and you cannot see anything outside because of the heavy thunderstorm that has covered the sun. And then you see for the next few seconds how lightning, lightning brightens up everything as if it is pure daylight. And you feel that sense of smallness. And you don't feel bad about that. It actually makes you awe, stand in awe of how glorious is this God. That's just the picture. That's a, that, these type of pictures are meant to help us see, trace it back to its true source. And if this creation is so glorious, imagine the God who spoke it into being. And when you truly understand who he is and what he has done, then you too will stand back and say, how glorious is this God? And that's exactly what verses 3 to 14 was meant to do for you. It was meant to dazzle you with how great God is, how gracious He is to us, how He just lavishes us with spiritual blessing after spiritual blessing so that we would praise His glory. Look at verse 6 again, just again at that reminder. It says, to the praise of His glorious grace. His grace is not just grace, it's glorious grace. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. If you struggle to see God's glory, go back to verse 3 to 14. Read it again. Ask God, to, even as you read it, to open your eyes to see His glory. And that is, in fact, the, the, the problem we have. We have a natural blindness to the glory of God. We don't see it because we do need the eyes of faith to see his glory. We don't naturally think God is that valuable, that glorious, that worthy, that beautiful. That's why we need what the beginning of verse 18 says. Look at verse 18 quickly. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's what we need. Remember the Bible, when it talks about the heart, it includes everything, your who you are, your spiritual man and woman. It includes your thoughts, 
It includes your affections. It includes your desires. Your heart is really what you really love, what you really desire, what you really prefer, what you really think is valuable. And your eye, your heart has eyes. It can see things that are valuable. And, and what it sees as valuable, your heart will be drawn to that and your actions will follow that, right? But what's the problem? Our eyes of our hearts are blind. We don't look and see and see that God is really valuable and glorious. We don't prefer God. That's a problem. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to open those eyes so that we might see God in his glory. We have a desperate need for God to do this work in us, that we might see him for who he truly is. And this is important for prayer, to really believe that God is glorious. If you do not see God as a glorious God, you will never ask for him. You will never desire him as your greatest reward, your greatest treasure. You will pray for other glories, other comforts, other gods, other idols, other things that your heart, the eyes of your heart has seen. Your prayer will be full of idolatry. But if you see God as glorious, as he really is, then you will ask for him. You will realize that the Father of glory wants to display his glory in front of your eyes so that you might be truly happy, truly joyful. God being a God of glory means God wants to make you so happy that you will praise him forever. That's amazing, right? He wants to make us so joyful in himself that we naturally praise him for who he is. As St. Augustine said so beautifully, right? The famous quote from him, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So, beloved, listen to me. God is not a petty, little, pathetic God. He is all-glorious, all-satisfying, and all-inspiring. So the main prayer we should be praying, one of our prayers should be, Oh God, I want to see your glory. Uh, let me know you. Open my eyes that I might see you for who you are. The greatest gift God can give you is himself. For only he makes us really happy. Only he satisfies the human soul. But let's look at the last attribute. Here's the last attribute. Not just that God is glorious, but that God is generous. God is a generous God. He delights to give us the best. And what is the best? Well, verse 17 elaborates that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit. Well, doesn't, if that feels like an, like an anti-climax, right? It shows how desperately we need number two <laughs> to ask for his glory. That is amazing to be able to ask for the Holy Spirit. God is not just a gracious and a glorious God. He's also a generous God. He doesn't give us leftovers. He gives us, he lavishes us. He's not like a billionaire who gives a beggar a few cents out of his riches. He's like a billionaire that adopts you and gives you everything he has. <laughs> the main gift he gives is himself. He gives us the Holy Spirit who is God himself living in us. He can give us the Holy Spirit because he has given us his son to pay for our sins. So why in the world would God ever withhold any other good thing from you if he's already given you his son and the spirit? He's given you the best. Why would God 
give up his only son to die a horrible, torturous death on the cross and not provide for your needs, not provide for your future, not take care of even your temporary needs. If God has already done the most difficult thing, he will do the easier thing. That's the logic of Romans 8 verse 32. Romans 8 32. This is the logic. It says, God who did not spare his own son, gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God with, with Jesus give us all things we need in this world. Even, even in this world, he will give us everything we need. And the greatest thing we need is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> even in this life. It is, it is important to emphasize this, that what we normally think is good is not necessarily good for us. So when we hear, wow, what an amazing promise, God will give us all good things. We should, we should update our definition of good as well. <laughs> okay. Think about your children. How often do your children think as a, you know, my dad is not good. He doesn't want to give me ice cream all the time. He cannot love me. He cannot be good for me. Right? Why can't I play with that rattlesnake? Like, look at this, look at the tail. <laughs> Parents are like, one day, one day you'll understand. <laughs> okay. And that's how God is. In his infinite wisdom, his fatherly love, he knows exactly what you need when you need it. Right? And he will give it to you. So God is generous in the best possible way, accompanied by his perfect wisdom. Listen to some of these promises. These are just some of the promises that you can really cling to. Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why will he never want? Why will he never really need anything? Because God Almighty is your shepherd. Like a shepherd, God will always do what's best for you as his sheep. In short, you shall not want. It's quite a, quite a profound promise, right? Psalm 34 verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord will never lack anything that's good. Psalm 84 verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For those who seek God, for those who up, walk uprightly, they will not be denied even one good thing. This belief in God's generosity, God's generosity and his willingness to answer our prayers is incredibly important for prayer. Incredibly important. In fact, it is so important. The Bible says if you do not believe this about God, you do not please him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. It's an amazing verse. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe. What must you believe? That God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Isn't that amazing, that last, that last phrase? You must believe that to be pleasing to God. You must believe that as you seek him, as you pray, as you come to him, that God will reward you. Otherwise, God is not pleased by your prayers. You must believe this. If you don't believe this, you dishonor him. As a generous God, you dishonor him for, you, you, you are distorting his character. 
And perhaps the best illustration is given by, by Jesus himself in Luke 11, verse 11. Right? Very famous again. It says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of the fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I love that, right? So Matthew's version says, good gifts. And Luke, it's like, okay, Matthew, let me upgrade your version. <laughs> the Holy Spirit for those who ask Him. The sad thing is that I suspect many Christians treat God like an evil father. Instead of like a perfect father, we ask God for bread and we expect a scorpion. We're almost scared to pray for something because like maybe God's going to give me something I don't want. But Jesus' point couldn't be clearer. If even evil parents can give good gifts, how much more will your perfect heavenly father give you the best? And what is the best? Again, the Holy Spirit. Because He's really the answer to all of our needs. Do you need joy? The Holy Spirit gives us joy. Do you need wisdom? The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Do you need to understand the Bible better? The Holy Spirit will illuminate your eyes and your mind to understand the Bible. Do you need peace? The Holy Spirit gives peace. Do you see how, how this works? Whatever need you have, the Holy Spirit is the answer. He will give us whatever we need. And this is exactly what Paul prays for in verse 17 when he says that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Beloved, do you believe this about God? Do you believe this about Him? How do you see Him? What attitude is in you when you approach His throne? See afresh this afternoon who He is, what He is really like. God your Father is gracious. He's gracious towards you. Because He dealt with your sins by sending His Son to live in your place and to die in your place and to rise in your place. God your Father is glorious. He is not needy. He is not little or pathetic. He doesn't need anything to accomplish His will. Instead, God is beautiful, worthy, valuable. And that spills over in such a way that He saves us and gives us His Son and the Spirit that we might praise Him forever and ever. That we might be happy forever in Him. And God our Father is generous. If you ask Him, if you seek Him, if you walk uprightly, believe He is the kind of God that will ensure that you will lack no good thing. He will be your shepherd. He will generously give you the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, He is the person we need the most. So will you come to God, your Father, like this? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we approach your throne and we confess that we sometimes and, and sometimes often, Lord, struggle to really believe that you are a gracious God, that you are a glorious God, and that you are generous. Lord, I pray that in our prayers, that we, will, we would really take time, before we pray for anything, before we ask you for anything, to just adore you for who you are, and remind even ourselves, Lord, 
of your character and your attributes. Lord, we need you. We need your attributes. We need to understand the truth about you so that we may pray freely and boldly. Lord, I pray that we would also seek you for you. That as we read our Bibles, that we will stop just putting ourselves into every story, but ask ourselves, where is the glory of God in this passage? That we will ask like Moses, show me your glory. Lord, please give us eyes of faith to see Jesus, to see your glorious character through the pages of Scripture by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And help us also, Lord, to believe that you are a generous God, that you are not stingy, that you're not holding anything back from us. That was the first lie. Lord, you give us everything we need. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Help us to depend on him, to walk in the Spirit more as you fill us with his power and his grace. We give you all the praise and all the thanks, Lord, for tonight in Jesus' name.